My name is Valerie Payne, and this is the podcast Finding Unity. I started this podcast because of a personal experience that helped me to see the need for unity in our society right now. I hope that you will come along with me on my quest to find unity as we seek understanding, connection, healing, and love. Hi, this is Valerie Payne, and you're listening to another episode of Finding Unity. And today I'm here with Jeff and Tanya Benyon. Hello. Hello. Do you guys want to just kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit where you're from, what you do professionally, and your background? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start. Uh, my name is Jeff Benyon, and I uh, grew up uh, right here in, in Salt Lake City. Uh, and then I moved, I, I worked in, I went on a mission to Belgium, Brussels, French speaking, and then uh, I worked in IT. Then I got a job in IT out in Northern Virginia, which is uh, where I met my wife. I will come to her in a sec. And then we moved back here uh, in 2005. Five. 2005. And then uh, in 2008, we had our first and only child. Uh, Nate, and uh, we also have two dogs. And I work now, when we moved back here, I changed uh, professions and I work in real estate property management development during the day, and uh, I'm also a part-time marriage and family therapist. And I'm Tanya Benyon, and I grew up in Laramie, Wyoming, born in St. Louis, Missouri, but grew up in Wyoming, and served a mission in Fukuoka, Japan. And then um, <clears throat> my parents moved while I was in college. Uh, while I was at BYU, they moved to Washington, D.C. And so one summer I was visiting them and met my first husband. I was married to him for just under two years, and or just two, over two years, when he died. And a few years later, got set up on a blind date with Jeff. And... A couple years later, we got married. Mm -hmm. So I, at the time, was working at the American University Washington College of Law as their senior web developer. And when we moved back after getting married, when we moved back here, I started my own web development company. So I just do it kind of um, with just various companies. Um, so I do graphic design and web development and full-time leather. Wow, you guys have a busy life. <laughs> so um, tell us a little bit about your story. So Tanya, I know you mentioned you were married for a couple of years. Um, your first husband died. That's really hard just to start dating again. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. And then also meeting Jeff and um, what that experience brought into your life. Um, that's a really good question. When... After Bailey died, his name was Bailey, uh, I became a hermit for about a year, didn't do anything. My work colleagues finally got me onto the work softball team, and that was really the first time that I finally got out of the house. Um, and, and the other blessing was two weeks after he died, I got called to work at, at the Washington, D.C. temple. And that was great because I spent mm -hmm. my Friday nights at the temple, which is kind of the date night. And so that's where a lot of my healing came from, is working at the temple. It made it easier to have a Friday night. You didn't yeah. have to worry about feel alone. Yeah. So I made some wonderful friends working at the temple on Friday night. And it turns out Jeff was actually working as well on Friday, 
Friday. No, I don't know what nights. Um, But some of the people I met are the ones that actually ended up introducing me to Jeff because we were both uh, in different wards. When I finally, after a year or more, came down into a singles environment, decided I needed to move, needed to get a fresh start, and that's how we met was through these mutual friends. So what did that look like then when you guys first met and you started dating and that whole refiner's fire process, I guess, which is a big question, I know. <laughs> right. So so you heard where Tanya was when we started dating. She left out the fact she was dating another guy when we when I finally called her to go out. So our mutual friend, Evan, uh, he's very persuasive. Other people might use other adjectives. Not just persuasive, persistent. Yes. Uh, at the time, I found it annoying. Uh, but he's like, you really need to go out with my friend Tanya. And he just kept bugging me and bugging me. For but, about four or five months. Yes. Yeah. And where I was with all this was, uh, you know, when I got, so I, 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 how I describe myself is I experienced same-sex attraction. And I really came to grips with that on my mission. And I really think it was the Holy Ghost uh, that said, Jeff, you need to just own up to this. Before then, certainly I noticed the attraction to men, uh, especially in high school uh, and junior high. But uh, I just push it aside and say, well, I, it's not that. It can't be that. I don't want it to be that. So uh, denial. But on my mission, I really feel like it was a spiritual process where I had to kind of own up that this was an aspect of my experience. So uh, I came home from my mission and I was still pretty hopeful that, you know, I'd find somebody and get married. And I dated uh, a fair amount. I mean... Of girls. Of girls, yes. (laughs) And in fact, one of the things I think all my single... Uh, friends can appreciate is you know a lot of you'll get a lot of pressure to just date oh keep dating keep dating and I'd go well so all my siblings got married before I did and I'm I'm the second oldest and so I'm like I I watched all my siblings date and I can tell you I had dated more women uh, than they had by the time they got married Right, so I I was dating, I was doing stuff, but the longer I dated, the longer things didn't work out, the less hopeful I was for marriage. So by the time I was in my late 20s and in Virginia, uh, I pretty much given up on marriage. I, I didn't believe it was possible for me uh, to get married. And yet, in my mid-20s, I'd had a powerful spiritual experience that I, I knew the Lord I knew it was true, if this makes any sense, I don't know. I knew it was true, but I didn't believe it. <laughs> that I knew I would get married and have at least one child. And uh, But it just seemed like a cruel joke, almost. I knew that came from God, I knew that was true, but it seemed more and more impossible. And by the time Evan said, you gotta take this uh, friend of mine out, I I was like, uh, I didn't even think I could be a good boyfriend, Valerie. <laughs> I didn't even think I could go on a date with a woman and not just have a miserable time. And so even though I was active and in, in my ward, I was also kind of more out of default. I, I'd started uh, dating guys. Now, if you'd asked me at the time, I might not have admitted that. 
They said, oh, we're just two guys who happen to have this in common and are really attracted to each other, but this isn't a date. So, there, you know, there was some rationalizing and denial in there. But, you know, in hindsight, I was dating uh, men too. Well, and I, I would occasionally go out with women, but it, it never went anywhere. And and so when, when Evan said, you got to go out with her, I'm like, fine, I'll humor you. And so it's funny how we showed up. I showed up that night. She was in another relationship. I had just started dating this other guy that was going really well. Mm -hmm. But because for months I had said that I would go out with his friend, I felt I told the guy I was dating with, I said, I told him I would, so I have to. I, I mean, it's just one date. I'm going to go out with him. Don't worry. So we were kind of both only going on this first blind date to humor Evan. <laughs> this gives you an idea how persuasive he is. He's a very <laughs> successful lawyer now. So, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so, and it's funny that morning I had gone on another date with a guy. And then that, that night it turned out, uh, we won't go into the details, but <laughs> he knew Tanya too. Uh, anyway. One of my really good friends that yeah. helped me through the widow stuff. Mm -hmm. wow. So it's kind of funny. That's kind of our state, our mutual state of where we were with relationships and stuff when we met. I have to tell you about the first date. Because even after the first date, you don't think that we should be going together. This will shock you, but she wasn't terribly attracted to me either on the first date. People always say, well, were you attracted to her? And both of us were like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, she was pretty. I mean, I knew that, but was it handsome. wasn't like yeah. hubba hubba. But yeah. I was really attracted to the other guy I was dating at the time. Which she has terrible taste in then, can I just say. <laughs> anyway, you go. I'm kidding. <laughs> but we went on this date. We took a car down to the metro in D.C. Took a metro, and he did a metro on purpose because he had had other women that he had taken out that were appalled that they had to use a metro on a date. I was kind of testing her already. I mean, I don't know that this was conscious, but I was really successful, and I didn't want somebody to be interested in me just because I had a really good job. and, and I, I did a, have a nicer car at the time. You did have a nicer <laughs> I couldn't say I had a nice car because I didn't have a nice car particularly. But. but he was very successful. So we took a metro down, which I love the metro, so that was fun for me. But we ended up at Union Station in D.C., we ate dinner, and at the end, neither of us had cash, and they didn't take a credit card. Oh, my goodness. And so we, so we both are like, how do we pay for this meal? And they're like, like, can you pay? <laughs> nope, sorry. Oh, I can't. I don't have any cash either. So the, the, guy, the waiter said, there's an ATM you can run down and get, the, get that. So he left, went and got some cash. We paid for it. Now we're walking to a, a play at a very nice theater. In the pouring rain, and I'm in a dress and heels, and it's pouring rain. So when we get to the play, we are sopping wet, and and I even remember there was a pillar in yeah, our way. Yeah, there was a big pole. We couldn't even see the stage in this play. <laughs> and then finally dried out by the end of it, mm -hmm. and we have to dry walk now from here to the metro again in the pouring rain. So, you know, like... About everything that could go wrong. I on didn't a date. exactly romance her that night. That's for and yet sure. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, which yeah. is probably why I was like, "Yeah, I'd do this again." So I kind of I'm curious because you were talking about um, also dating other women for many years, right? Mm -hmm. And how that didn't really yield success, and it was kind of um, maybe a little 
disillusioned, like you felt a little disillusioned by that. And so my, my question is with someone who experiences same sex attraction, how did you even know who you wanted to date? Were you actually physically attracted to the women you were asking out? Like what drew you to these women that you were dating or was it just dating to date? Uh, I'll say a couple of things that are politically incorrect in here too, (laughs) but, uh, there were a couple of things. There, there were occasionally women that I was attracted to. And I think that's not as unusual as it might seem. Uh, I think a lot of us that experience same-sex attraction have a little bit of attraction to women. It's certainly not dominant. I mean, if I'm walking down the street, I'll notice 19 guys for every woman I'll notice. And by the way, just because I have same-sex attraction doesn't mean I'm attracted to all men, right? So... Uh, even those 20 guys, 19 guys I might notice would take quite a while to see. But anyway, just statistically, I'm, I'm it's much more dominant for me. But but most of uh, my friends that experience this, they do have a little bit of attraction sometimes. So to women, uh, to women, yeah. Uh, so I would I would have that, but those ones uh, didn't ever work out. But then I would also get in these. Um, relationships which is i would i thought of them as friendships with women that i came really close to uh and i would feel guilty that i wasn't attracted to them i'd say oh i wish i was straight because this is such a wonderful girl and they were uh and i get really close to them but it was more on a girlfriend girlfriend level than girlfriend boyfriend level if that makes sense i was relating to them kind of on that level and I, I don't think that can ever, attraction can ever develop that way. There needs to be this difference that comes in uh, to the relationship where, where the man needs to be acting like the man and the woman needs to be acting like the woman for that difference to create the erotic uh, component, uh, the attraction, you might say. And so uh, I would have these really close friendships with these women I'd love and I would feel guilty and then I'd feel bad and I'd say, oh, if only I were straight. I, 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 this is someone I could marry. Uh, and uh, this is the part that's sad to say, but true. Uh, there weren't a lot of other guys in the ward lining up to date these women either. And so I think the difference, if I had been totally straight, uh, as opposed to what I was, is I probably wouldn't have taken the time to get to know them at all. I would have been just shallow and ignored them the way most mm-hmm. of the men in the ward were doing. So, and that is tragic, but, but, I was blaming a lot of stuff on my same-sex attraction that wasn't really fair to do, mm-hmm. you know? And when you say ward, <clears throat> that's the same thing as a congregation. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. So I'm curious, too, I, I want to go a little bit more. What does the relationship, let's just say emotionally, look like? between you and a girlfriend who's like you said the girlfriend girlfriend kind of a relationship compared to what you look at as a romantic relationship and just the emotional aspect of that I'm curious uh it's it's kind of hard to describe but uh there's there's kind of a catty gossipy thing you can do or you can talk about other people in a certain way you can talk about other uh, guys she might be interested in, right? So so there's, oh, do you like this one? Do you like this one? Oh, here's what you should do. Here's how you should do your hair. Have you thought about how you should get a uh, dress? Uh, what kind of clothes you should wear? Uh, going shopping? Uh, you know, th- those sort of things. 
which uh, you could even do dating, I guess. But it, then if you contrast that with dating, there's an element of pursuit and there's an element of uh, putting your best foot forward. Putting your best foot forward. And, and also trying to, and this is where Tanya was great because she's very assertive if you don't know her, but she was assertive in getting me to be assertive. So she would say stuff like, uh, and this wasn't deliberate on her part, I'm sure. She was just being her sassy self. But uh, she'd say, you know, you're really pat, because she'd say, what do you want to do tonight? Or I'd say, what do you want to do tonight? And she'd say, well, you're pretty passive. I think you should decide what we should do tonight. And I'd be like, ouch. <laughs> and okay, because I was pretty passive. And, you know, a, a, it would be natural for an assertive woman to say, all right, I'll plan it. I'll plan, I'll plan, and we'll have this great time. But it's that, that is not the pursuit. Which I did sometimes. You did sometimes. Yeah. But I'm just saying, and, and there can always be exceptions, but I just mean overall flavor of the relationship was, I needed to feel like I was in control. If I felt like I was being I was being pursued, that's that was uncomfortable. I'd feel guilty. I'd feel obligated. I'd feel and again, I don't think the attraction can flower in that kind of circumstance. I think it can only happen when I felt like again, primarily, there's always give and take here, but primarily that I was in the driver's seat of the relationship that I was the one pursuing, I was the one planning, I was the one deciding what we do. And of course she got a vote and she got to say, it wasn't like I was bossing her around all the time, but. Well, another example would be, I remember it was about four or five months into it. And I said, you know, by this time, most guys are calling me or we're talking every day. If we've been dating this mm -hmm. long and I hear from you once, maybe twice a week. Mm -hmm. So. It'd be really nice to hear from you a little bit more often. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a great example where I, 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 yeah, I think a lot of regular relationships, the guy would have been over there or she would have been over at my place every night. Uh, and that certainly isn't how I did it. And it wasn't how I felt ready to do it. And um, so I think I probably called you two, three times a week after that. Yeah. Uh, but not every not night, every day. not every day. Uh, and so here I was just doing steps that felt fairly significant to me, but that were gradual that I was doing because I felt ready to do and willing to do on some level, even if it was a bit of a stretch, uh, I would, I would do them, uh, but not just out of obligation, not just because she told me to, not just because I knew that's what she wanted me to do, but because it felt at least on some level like something I was willing to try. And then that could eventually become genuine and natural. We talk about touch and body language and I wasn't very touchy mm -hmm. either at first, uh, but that grew over time too. Uh, at my pace, which was incredibly slow pace. I well, what I what I really heard too, as we, we talked about like the difference between the girlfriend relationship, yeah. the girl-girl and, or, you know, like, and then a more, romantic mm -hmm. rela emotional relationship is what I heard too is that like you're helping each other grow because you know with Tanya saying um yeah you're kind of passive like that hurts <laughs> but that's an area of growth where maybe in a, a girlfriend girlfriend situation you're not like hey like you're passive like you know <laughs> right, it's not right. it's a different dynamic where you're helping each other to grow together that's a good point so. yeah 
Anyway, I want to talk to you more about, so what, when did um, Jeff tell you about his same-sex attraction? What was that like for you? And maybe if you can kind of talk about that and that dynamic in dating and marriage. Well, I'll start and then you can go because I had decided, which was a really dumb decision, but I'd always said, I will tell the girl I'm dating when I'm ready to get engaged. That seemed like the right time. Well, I still couldn't decide uh, if I wanted to marry her. We dated for two... At this point, no, at this point, we've been dating for a year and a half. year and a half. So after a year and a half of dating, Tanya, I still didn't really know if I wanted to marry her. So it's the and yet i i what i had great advice from friends through all this i was lucky in having some great wise friends who were like me experiencing same-sex attraction but were in relationships with women or were getting married or or sometimes not even but they still gave great advice he said jeff the question you need to be asking yourself is not is she the one it is uh what is the next level of intimacy i'm willing to go to with her and if there isn't one then it's time to break up and I'm like well the next level of intimacy is telling her about my same-sex attraction and I'm not ready to break up with her yet so I will tell her about my same-sex attraction so we had spent an amazing day together and uh, out in nature it was just perfect and and I had if I remember right, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I had already told him that I loved him, but he had not reciprocated that, which I was actually grateful that he didn't feel obligated to say it when it didn't mean anything to him. So that was totally okay with me. It kind of hurts, but at the same time, I would want it to be authentic. So he says, I have something to tell me. At, at the end of the day, we're back at his apartment. Things are going great, and he says, I have something I want to tell you. And I think he's finally going to say, I love you. And he says, I'm attracted to other men. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Now I was relieved, right? I'd gotten it off my chest. So I'm like, woohoo, I felt lighter. I felt great. And I was in shock. I really believe that the Lord helped prepare me, though, because this was in middle of August, middle to late of August, three, four weeks before that, my friend that had helped me through the widow stuff that he had gone out with came out to me as gay. I did not know this before that. And like I said, he was a really close friend. And so I had spent a month trying to find resources. So I had spent a, a month trying to figure some stuff out with no avail. I didn't help. I didn't find, figure out anything. But at least it had been on my mind. So when he told me, my mind at least had been in that space a little bit before. The blessing I had, because I was in total shock, was he sent me home that night with two books. And so he didn't at least send me home empty-handed. I, I, I know I spent probably till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning reading because I didn't know what to do with this. I loved this man, and that had not changed. But what do I do with this new information? And I handled everything wrong. Everything <laughs> wrong. And his sister and brother-in-law tried to help me tell me everything that's great about him. I'm like, I don't know, he's great. That's not the problem here. <laughs> and um, I actually went to my home teachers. He did not know that. I swore them to secrecy because this was not mine to tell, but I still needed some help. And, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you're gonna have to break up. And I went, 
I never said I was breaking up with him. I just want to know what I need to do with this information. Um, so that didn't even ever enter my mind, breaking up with him. If he was still willing to be in this relationship, then I, I just have to figure out what to deal with, do with this. I asked so many questions. This was a Saturday night that he told me that by Wednesday, I had asked all the wrong questions and so many questions that he was ready to break up with me by Wednesday. And so... I felt was, mistrusted, misunderstood. And I'd ask things like, okay, so this guy's came over. So who's, is, is he attracted to you? Are you attracted to him? Is this she wanted to know all my friends that had this, in, had this experience. And she wanted to know, and then I shouldn't be alone with them anymore. And I maybe shouldn't see them so anymore. So what I'm and, hearing is there, there was a lot of insecurity. Was and I was feeling. absolutely insecure in this relationship. I, I kind of needed to just rein back for a minute. And listen to the spirit and figure out what what do I need to do? What do I need to know? What do I have a right to know? Yeah, and and as this being an aspect of our relationship, just her knowing about my same sex attraction went from something that was basically hidden from her to now this is the only thing, right? Yeah. And it took over our relationship in, in a way that was probably too too big. But it was also probably what it needed to be. So I'm getting these letters and I'm like, so I told you I was feeling untrusted, misunderstood, but now she's writing these beautiful notes. I felt very loved and I felt very understood and I felt very trusted. And ironically, uh, I had it backwards, Valerie. I thought in order once we got to that level of intimacy that I was ready to get married, ironically telling her about this deep dark secret is what created the level of intimacy because it wasn't long thereafter that I'm like, I do feel love for her and I do feel this attraction for her. The, the physical attraction was coming along. She makes it sound like it wasn't, but it I, was from, from my- At this point. Yeah, from my standpoint, that was growing continuously throughout the the two and a half years and we, we were dated. kissing at this point you right. just hadn't said i love you at this right. point so and i can was, tell you still like me i was i was enjoying that part of our relationship it wasn't something again it was something i kind of had to be careful with because i didn't want to be kissing or making out just to because i knew she wanted to i needed to be something that felt right for me so I'm sure it was less than she liked, but it was enough that I enjoyed it too. Even though, sure, if you put a guy there, I, I would have been more easy to to do and and more intense. But but it was satisfying enough that I knew uh, by the time I'm fast forwarding a little bit. But uh, I knew that element would be okay. I didn't know, but I had confidence. We'll put it that way. I had confidence that, that element would be okay in our marriage. Because we were keeping the law of chastity, but uh, I still had that confidence. And but was this other stuff? Would she understand me? Would she support me? Would she accept me? Uh, and is this someone that I feel uh, the love uh, for as well? Uh, not just physically, but in all these other ways. And it was through that experience that I I came to realize and trust her. And and it was interesting. I we were kind of tested. Well, I, we were tested in different ways, but as, so as we decided to get engaged, I had a one friend who was gay and a couple of co-workers, friends who were uh, straight, but uh, all having rough 
well, the, the gay one is like, how can you do this? How can you be this? And you're going to ask these questions later. What if you screw this up because you're going to make her miserable? You're going to ruin her life. You're going to ruin your kids' lives. You're going to do all this. How dare you? How do you dare? He wasn't trying to talk me out of it. He was just projecting all his anxieties onto me. Uh, what do you do? And who? what if you screw up all their lives? And are, are you worried about that? And why aren't you scared to death? And so I'm like, well, should I be? And uh, and then at the same time, I've got a couple of coworkers that are going through some painful divorces or they're in very unhappy marriages themselves. So I'm like, gosh, can I do this? And is this fair to her? And is it fair to me? And is this even possible? And, and uh, because we'd been through so much together, uh, you don't really know what... This was one thing we knew about beforehand my same-sex attraction as a potential issue. I had a therapist that I dragged her to because she went from going really, really poorly, responding really, really poorly to responding so well. I'm like, does she get that this is real? That this isn't just some theoretical thing that might happen, but this is a lived part of my experience that might last through our whole marriage and could be a real thing. Does she get it? So I dragged her to my therapist and said, I, I, I think she, I, I've, I told her all this stuff and I think she gets it, but I'm not, she's dealing with it too well now. I'm not sure she gets it. So I'm bringing you, I'm bringing her with me and I want you to grill her and make sure she gets it. But one of the things he told us, which is a good advice in general, is don't assume it's going to be a problem until it's a problem. If you do, that's a surefire way to make it a problem. So that's why I call it a potential problem. So uh, it could be an issue, it could be a problem, but it's one we knew about. There's plenty of other stuff that could come up in our marriage that we won't know about. Like Tanya always says, I didn't know my first husband would get cancer and die. Uh, that's not fair either. I didn't know that beforehand, but there's all kinds of things that you go through together that you, how are you gonna handle those? This was at least something that we both knew about right. and we could start working on it together. Right. And, and we'd, we'd worked through so many issues that I'm like, I don't know, it might be a problem, it might not, but we'll certainly have problems. But we'd worked through enough stuff by that point together that I was confident that whatever happens, whatever we go through, we will work through it together. And that is what really clinched the fact to, for me that I could marry this woman is I knew how she responded to difficult things and I knew she was committed to me and to us and to God above all, and I was too. Uh, and so that's that's really what gave me the confidence to say, all right, let's go. And so sometimes I feel like people look at our marriage and me and they, it's almost like I'm doing this high wire act on a unicycle while I'm juggling flaming swords or something, right? It seems like it's an impossible thing that I'm doing. And, uh, and for some people, maybe it does feel that way. But uh, for me, it wasn't ever like this massive leap of faith getting married. I, I had butterflies the day we got married. We got off the cruise ship and got married. But I remember thinking, this isn't as scary, you know, rewind to me on going on the blind date with her where I'm like, I don't even know if I can go on a date with a woman. I definitely can't even be a boyfriend to a woman and marriage is not even on the map anymore, you know? Fast forward, you know, the three years or so, three two and, and a half. half, two and a half years after that, uh, I'm like, I was kind of excited, kind of nervous, but it didn't seem like a huge leap of faith. It seemed like the next logical step. 
Yeah. No, I loved hearing your perspective. And let's go ahead and ask more about that. Maybe, Tanya, if you have thoughts, um, just I've often heard people say, oh, it's not fair to the wife, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's not fair. They're never going to love the wife as much as they would love a man. Right. Things she like deserves that. to have someone exactly. attracted to her yeah. in every way, in an intense way. Yeah. We asked that to the therapist. I said, well, I want a husband in every way, and that means sexually as well. He said, uh, look, I." this is back when Family Services did adoption. And he said, look, I deal with families and I'll do interview intake interviews to see if they're and they'll come in and say look we're ready to start our family so we want to adopt uh, and uh, he'd say I'm gonna stop you right there you have made a commitment and a covenant to you to each other you already are a family if you want to start a family I can't help you with that if you want to expand your family I can help you with that you have made that commitment he said and so I would say the same thing to you two, if he has made those commitments, if he's faithful to you, if he's doing those things, and you have done, you've committed the same, made the same commitment, you are, he is your husband, and you are his wife, and you are married. And that's what Whether I it meant. has the five typical things, or the four out of the five yeah. typical things, or... So I walked away with that saying, we don't know if this is going to work, because you are more attracted to men. So, are you committed to trying? If you're committed to trying... That's all I can ask. Because I even know from some of my family experiences that even heterosexual men have issues on their wedding night. That they can't perform, that they're scared. If you haven't had sex before marriage, this is a big step. That one minute you're not allowed to, and the next minute you're allowed to have sex. So this can be an overwhelming thing Mm -hmm. for anybody of any sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. So I said, as long as you're willing to try, I'm willing to be into this. So if it takes us a week, a month, a year till we have sex, and that's when it's going to be okay for you, as long as we're making baby steps and we're just trying, I am totally on board with this mm-hmm. uh, because we don't know what we're going to get it to. And I said, you know, I'm attracted to men. He's attracted to men. What's the difference? We're both committing to be with each other. I could cheat on him. He could cheat on me. This isn't about... Oh my gosh, because he's attracted to men, he's going to cheat on me. Mm-hmm. It's about, do we have the integrity and the to, trust and the trust to stay committed to each other? One of my friends said to me, uh, who was just come out of a really nasty divorce, and his wife had cheated on him and for years. Uh, and he, uh, he was desperately, terribly in love with her. And he was in denial about her cheating for a year or two. And he said, Jeff, a more important thing in marriage than even love is trust. Because without trust, love is just pain. And if any of your listeners have been in a relationship or love somebody that they can't trust, they will go, oh my gosh, yeah. That without trust, love is pain. So trust is more important. We had love and we had trust, but... Uh, and, and that's, and trust, you know, trust can be built and trust can be rebuilt too, I just want to say. But um, in, so that, when she said that, if we go back to that conversation, look, it takes a week, it takes a month, it takes a year, just make progress. I'm like, yeah, and there's things I can work on. There's things I can talk through. I can go to therapy. We can go to therapy together. We can read books. We can do all this stuff. So I'm like, okay, because again, that had been our experience in the relationship. We were both willing to grow. And all that. So, and I just uh, have to put in there, just weeks before we got married, 
I started having panic attacks because I'm sealed to somebody else. So technically I'm kind of married to somebody else and I'm agreeing to go into this marriage. So we both had our stuff yeah. is the point. And so we both were having to work through feelings. And so I was a little nervous. He was. He said, I'm nervous on the wedding night because she's done this before. And so I might <laughs> hold up scorecards. Because <laughs> <laughs> she'll have something to compare to. <laughs> and and I was just nervous because I, I didn't know how I was going to react to be with another man. Um, and not even sexually, just to be married to another person. And having the first experience, is it going to taint and, um, or, or change things? And so we both had to come into this with our eyes open and, mm -hmm. and that's what we and, decided to do. Right. And so back to the fair, is it fair, uh, to, to do this? Um, I, I would add, uh, that, uh, first of all, I feel like I am attracted to her in all ways. Uh, there, there is, uh, and maybe not every couple in our situation can say that. So, and I don't think I'm better than or less than for saying that, but. And that's a good point too. Uh, mm -hmm. This is your experience. Right. And that doesn't mm -hmm. mean everyone with same sex attraction right. needs to get married in this life. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or, can. or just because I was right. I, I, I totally relate to people when they say who experience same sex attraction say, I, I can't ever be married. And some of them even doubt if they'll be able to be married in the next life, right? And that certainly describes me. Just because I ended up being capable of doing that, despite not believing I would ever be, uh, doesn't mean somebody else can, right? Even though I feel like I was in their shoes, I wouldn't say to them, well, I did it, so you should be able to do it, right? Yeah. Um, uh, even though I will say, Never say never. I, I think that's that's what of, Justin Bieber says. Right, and and we'll get if we get our wisdom from song lyrics. Uh, that's right. Or uh, as President Hinckley says, perhaps a better authority. Right. Uh, a life, life by the mile is a trial, but it's an inch. But but it's a cinch by the inch, and so you know if you think that never word can be really heavy. I did have to get to the point where I was okay never getting married and say, even if, because you'll hear, you'll hear some people say, oh, I have a testimony, I believe in these principles, but I don't want to be alone. And I don't blame them for saying that, especially in a world that values romantic and sexual love above and beyond any other kind of love. We are saturated in a culture that says that's the most meaningful and important thing. And so if, if that's what you've imbibed all your life, that's really hard. That's a big ask. So I don't blame anybody for saying that's too much. But I also said for myself, I, I'm okay with this because this is more important. This is a covenant and this is important to me. And I've seen uh, the glory that waits, and I believe in, and I'm going to have faith in, and I'm going to trust in that, whether or not I'm, I find somebody. Because if, if you go, I, I see some, some people condition their discipleship and their obedience on being in a relationship, and I'll see even guys like me who are in a heterosexual marriage, and then uh, they have an affair or something, because their highest value isn't their covenants or their testimony, their belief, their highest value is not being alone.
So their marriage might hit a rough patch where they're lonely or they're whatever. And now there's a better one, right? There's this other option. Again, if your highest value is not wanting to be alone, uh, that's it's probably, yeah, that, that's probably not gonna, gonna work. So back to that, you know, if it takes a week, if it takes a month, if it takes a year, we were willing to both work on that if, if it, again, back to my therapist, if don't pretend it, don't assume it's going to be a problem until it's a problem. If it was a problem, to just know that was, again, something else we could work through with the trust and love we had for each other. And that was great for her to say, because I think any man, any orientation is going to feel that nervousness, that pressure to perform and, and just have all that. So it was great to take that pressure off. And uh, it goes back to, I was at a bachelor party of a friend of mine, uh, and he was, you know, he was straight, he's a straight guy. guy, but he was a little nervous about his wedding night. So he asked one of the other people there, you know, do you have any advice about the wedding night? At the time I was there, I was not married, so he wasn't going to ask me, but, and uh, he said, oh, don't worry. And now I'm going to use an analogy that will uh, many people will appreciate in the same sex attraction world because a lot of us are theater people. He said, I'll change his name. He said, James, you've got the part. She already loves you. She chose you. This isn't a one-time audition that then you get the part or you don't get the part depending on how you, you perform. You've got the part. And if it doesn't, if you bomb one night, there's always tomorrow night. Yeah, and there's also matinees. <laughs> and he, he said that. And he said, look, if you come in at the wrong time, if you flubbed your lines, if the props don't work, whatever, there's always another time. You've got the part. She loves you. Just accept that. And that was so great for me to hear, too. Uh, so uh, with, between what she said and what this guy said, uh, it was a great way to say this is just something we can allow to flower and grow. So back to the fairness, right? You deserve, a woman deserves to have a man who's attracted to her in every way and as intensely as a heterosexual guy would. He said, my enough does not have to be the same as your enough. So are you attracted to me enough to want to be in this relationship? And am I attracted to you enough to want to be in this relationship? We think... And is my enough enough for your enough? Yeah, <laughs> because we think of these... Um, fairy tales in Disney World, in, in the Disney uh, storylines, that everybody is so enamored with each other, and it's everything. But in real life, we come in at different degrees. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't ever thought about that. And, and really what it was, was it was taking care of me. This I don't have to worry about him. If he feels like this is enough for him, then let him take care of himself. But it was definitely enough for me. And it was really good for him to kind of put me in my place at that moment and say, basically, take care of yourself. Is this enough for you? I think my responsibility was to be as honest as I could uh, and then let her make her decision. Now, some people will say, so Not you romantic. like to play, you like to play devil's advocate, I'll play it for you. Some people <laughs> say, well, when you told her, it wasn't fair because she was already in love with you. Right, so of course she's going to say yes. What would you say to that? I have every right to walk out, and it's my responsibility to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I certainly don't defend my timing of how long I waited. I, I wish I'd have done it sooner, but uh, I do th I'm glad I told her beforehand. 
Uh, and we were able to work through a lot of this before we got married. And a lot of the girls in my situation that have had the opportunity to find out even before they're married. So a lot don't have that opportunity, and that's a completely different story. But there's a lot that find out beforehand. And they just kind of take it at their their boyfriend's word. They just go, oh, okay. Because they're dating. They just assume, well, if he's dating me, then they just make all these assumptions that, okay, then it must be over. And or I he's kind cured of, or it's done or it's... Yeah. yeah, it's, oh, and, yeah. and my advice to every girl that I ever come in contact with is, <laughs> this will sound terrible, but I liken it to my, hus- my first husband's uh, cancer. When we found out about his cancer... This is before the internet, so that dates me. Um, we went and we got every book, every pamphlet, everything. And this was a joint thing. It wasn't just him finding out about his Even cancer. Even though it was, in one sense, his cancer. It was his you cancer. You made it our cancer. Yes. So I did just as much research, and we worked to this together. And so when he told me about his same-sex attraction, I was so happy he gave me the books. I read everything I could get my hands on. I asked I talked to people. I did my research to figure out if I wanted this for me. And too many women don't, and that that's on them. That's not on the guy. That's on them for not doing their homework. Because I can remember I had my little widow's group, support group, going at the time. And I remember saying to my friend Liz, she, <laughs> she was the one I would dump on, she, I'd say, First God kills my husband, and then he gives me a gay guy. I can't catch a break. And she said, I, I don't know how you do it. There's no way I could do this. And she was really thought I should get out of this relationship, even though she liked Jeff well she, enough. I knew her. Mm-hmm. Um, she just thought I was crazy to stick in this. Now, fast forward two and a half years. When we got married, this friend <laughs> said, you know, if you get scared and don't want to, you can step over and I'll step in. She could even see the SSA was not the issue. This, is, this does not have to define. This is just one piece of who he is. Mm-hmm. Our sexuality, so many people think that's defining us, but it doesn't define who we are. I don't go around saying I'm a heterosexual woman. I am attracted to men, and it's this little piece, and then I'm a wife, and I have a job, and I have this volunteer, and I have that. So this was only one piece of who he was. Right. It's, not, it's why I don't identify as gay. I don't. I'm not ashamed of that term. I'm not ashamed of these feelings. But to me, and I know people define this differently, but to me, gay would make this this essential primary identity. And I just don't see it that way. And if I were to do that, it would make things harder, not easier. That does not give me, that label does not, that identity, that label does not give me anything that I want more than what I already have. It doesn't provide any added benefit to me. So it doesn't serve me. I love all those comments. You shared about how you felt at the beginning of your dating relationship, right? And that that word fair, and if you felt fair. And you've talked a lot about that word fair and what that means to you. And so I'm just going to ask, maybe an audience member has it. So right now, at this stage in your marriage, would you say that you feel that it's fair for you in your marriage? I think I have a 100% normal marriage. I, I don't think there's anything unique in our marriage. We've learned how to deal with the trials that we both go through, whether that's widow stuff or uh, infertility or the SSA or finances or where we're going to live or what jobs, we we all have this. So Mm -hmm. the blessing with the SSA was it forced us to start to do our work 
earlier than maybe some others did. And be more transparent and honest. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I, I think it's been actually a blessing in our marriage. With my first marriage, um, I had some issues. I didn't know how to talk about them. And I had an excellent first marriage, don't get me wrong. But there was a c- couple of things that, looking back, that I wish I would have known how to talk to him. But I didn't have the words. And because of being in this community of other marriages that are trying to work with this, we've got shared language. We have both done emotional work. We've both tried to do therapy-type stuff. And we've tried to heal ourselves. And when I like what Jeff always says, marriage isn't 50-50, it's two whole people coming together. And so it's about both of us trying to become whole people so that we have a wonderful marriage. And that's what this issue has brought into our marriage. It's brought us to both want to be whole people. I love that. I like to say, uh, this is a little uh, term that may not make sense, but I like to say that marriage is like mine. Uh, men or women with same-sex attraction who were heterosexually married. I don't like the term mixed orientation marriage. Again, if you want to call it that, that's fine. But to me, that again introduces this difference. It introduces an artificial obstacle that doesn't, that can make things bigger or worse or weirder. It, it makes me feel like I'm in a zoo again. And again, like Tanya says, I feel like we're normal. Uh, but uh, marriages like mine, it's almost like what we call in statistics a bimodal distribution. You think normally with the curve, the curve's in the middle, and that's where most people are. You know, they talk about grading on the curve, so the C average. Well, I think in this case, the curves are at the edges. So it's the F and the A that are the high. And then in the middle, there's not much, many people in the middle in the average. In other words, the marriages like mine are either really, really good or really, really bad. <laughs> there's not a lot of average. I was talking to a, a friends of ours uh, who uh, are heterosexual, and and he said, "Wow, you guys have just learned some stuff that uh, we've just coasted through. We we haven't had to deal with. We haven't had to do. Except now there's a life change because there's a faith crisis and a faith transition going on. So now they're learning, having to learn how to do this. But uh, we got to do it at the beginning. We got to do it at the beginning uh, before all the kids and all the history. But um, that experience." Uh, I think having this as part of our experience uh, pushes us to the edges where it either becomes more dysfunctional or or even better. And so uh, I wouldn't call us, we feel normal, but I wouldn't call us average. We look at a lot of other marriages and again, this may make me weird or unique, but I know some people in my situation look at gay couples and they'll say, oh, I wish I had that. And in fact, Tanya asked me once, she said, do you miss it? I think she was referring to dating or dating guys or being with guys or whatever. And I said, certainly I can, I said, I think that's the wrong question. Can I change your question? Uh, because uh, there are certainly times I still feel that, 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 uh, that erotic attraction to men. Uh, and I, I try to, you know, keep, keep that in the bounds the Lord has said and, and not turn that into lust which as Jesus told us all, heterosexual and otherwise uh, is, is a sin. But um, I, I said, let me change the question to, do, have, do you wish you were in a different kind of relationship? Do you wish you were with these guys? And, and I don't. Uh, and, and so I'm really grateful for that. Uh, and I, I hope that, uh, I hope that I stay faithful to that too.
I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you both. Um, you've you've talked about not wanting to feel like you're in a zoo, like, you know, something different. Um, and I'm sure you've received a lot of backlash and negative comments from people. And so when I wanted to ask, because um, you've talked so, so well about your relationship and how you found unity together, but have you found unity maybe with others who you know, have these negative comments or yeah. Have you found healing or connection or understanding in that? I think if we can give them the opportunity, if they'll allow it to get to know us, uh, they'll find that it works for us, you know, and maybe that's the most they'll ever say, uh, Oh, that's strange and seems crazy, but it works for them. It's not something I would do. Uh, then that's fine. And, and I've had several people do that. They'll get to know us and they'll say, yeah, it, it, it isn't necessarily a priori unhealthy to privilege or prioritize a religious identity over what could be a sexual identity. That that is a valid choice and it's a valid way to live. And, and uh, uh, several people that have gotten to know us and gotten to know me have kind of come around. Again, they're, they're not necessarily personally converted but they'll often concede, okay, this works for some people. Now I'll I'll get it'll I'll get irritated again when they say, well, that's not for most people, or that's that's not something you should recommend, which I don't recommend it. But I I do say it's an opportunity to explore. I would never tell anybody to just jump into this and say the Lord will bless you and just pick some woman out of a hat randomly and marry her and it'll all be fine. I mean, sometimes people straw man what I'm saying here. If you hear anything in our story, it's that it was a line by line, baby step by baby step process that built the confidence, our mutual confidence in each other that this was something we could do. So it wasn't something we just leapt into and said, oh my gosh, with the rose colored glasses, we're just going to be blessed. It'll be fine. And Uh, we do have quite a few friends that were our friends that were in the exact same situations that are no longer together. The husbands mm-hmm. are with their husbands. The wives have new husbands. Mm-hmm. We have lots of those friends. Mm-hmm. And they are still our friends. Yeah. And they don't hate us for not following their life choices. And we don't hate them for following their life choices. We just, we're all doing the best that we can. But when people push back and say it doesn't work for most, when people say it doesn't work for most people, that's where I want to push back again. And uh, because um, we have a huge community, there are a lot of people this works for. Yeah, what I'm hearing you say is that as you live your life and um, seek, you're really just seeking that understanding from other people that they can understand you and get to know you. And meanwhile, you're you're also understanding those others who are living a different lifestyle Mm -hmm. from you Mm -hmm. and accepting, hey, like you do you, but let me do me is what I'm hearing you say. And let's we don't have to marginalize either experience. Yeah. I love that. Great. Well, we're coming to an end and I want to ask my final question, which I always ask everyone on my podcast. And that is, what does unity mean to you? So what does unity mean to you? I think unity, because we talk a lot about diversity and I think diversity is wonderful. How do you have unity and diversity? The only way, whether that's in a marriage, in a community, with difference of opinions, ideologies, beliefs, practices, is when we have a loyalty, a supreme loyalty to something larger. So in a marriage, for us, I feel like that's God. Uh, In a a civic society, those are higher loyalties like, in a civil society, those are loyalties, those are higher values like 
we can have different ideas and still coexist because we have this higher loyalty to we respect freedom of speech, we respect freedom of conscience. These things that are enshrined in our constitution here in the United States are there because that is the higher loyalty where we can have all kinds of disagreements on other things. But if we have that higher loyalty that goes beyond and transcends any of the differences, that's the only way it works. And I would, I think unity happens when we learn to love each other because we are going to be different. Mm -hmm. Nobody's, nobody is the same as me. So somebody else, even my husband, who's probably thinks the closest to me, thinks different than me on certain things. And do I still love him anyway? So it's about letting everybody else have their opinions too, but still respecting each other's opinion for them and still loving them. I love that. Thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. It was our pleasure. Thank you for having us. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it on whatever platform you're listening to. Remember that it's okay to disagree. Unity comes when we can agree to disagree while still maintaining a love for one another. For more on unity, follow us on Instagram at finding.unity or on Twitter at finding underscore unity.